Hey there, listeners. Before we dive into the latest episode of Head Coach U, we wanted to say a big thanks to this week's sponsor, War Room. At War Room, they understand how difficult it is to keep track of rosters from recruiting to graduation, depth charts, communication, and even the transfer portal. Their tools are there to help you keep a clean and concise roster. War Room helps programs by creating custom tools for your team's needs, from Little League all the way up to every single Power 5 conference. Reach out now at www.collegewarroom.com, all one word, and let them help you on your championship run. Broncos use College War Room every step of the way, and now you can too. Now, with all that being said, let's dive into a great conversation on this week's episode. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of Head Coach U. I am Brian Fisher, joined as always by former BYU and Virginia head coach Bronco Mendenhall. And another special episode, Bronco, we, we have on the head coach of the Vanderbilt Commodores, fresh off a two-game win streak, Clark Lee. Clark, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's so good to be with you guys. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, uh, you, you guys just uh, just beat Florida for the first time at, at home since 1988. And I'm kind of curious if, if we wanted to go back a little bit to to young, the young Clark Lee days back in 1988. What, what was this time of year like for you guys when you when you had Thanksgiving coming up yet? I'm sure there was a plenty of football on at, at your own household, right? Oh, it's certainly. I mean, it's like uh, we you know, I would be, I would have been seven years old in 88. And, <laughs> um, you know, we would have certainly come to the Vanderbilt game and then we'd be, um, you know, about ready to, to tear into some turkey and play a lot of backyard football. That's kind of, that was our rhythm. So one of the things for our listeners, uh, Clark and I, uh, I'll, I'll give some backstory. We got to know each other. Clark was an assistant at Wake Forest when I first was hired at Virginia. So I became aware of Clark and kind of vice versa at that time. But it wasn't until Clark became the head coach at Vanderbilt Um and if I remember correctly, and you, you you can refresh my sequencing, Clark. Either I reached out to you or you reached out to me. But I was I was so glad to um, to see someone else at a school that's representing more than football, right? And this this institution that has such strong academics that struggled, quite frankly, right, is usually being viewed as having to um, to maximize resources and do uh, do very unique and challenging things with. Um, really powerful circumstances, which Vanderbilt has. And you put that backdrop in the SEC, and that was a similar backdrop, not identical to the academic um, integrity and kind of uh, prowess at Virginia and a program that hadn't recently had success. So there was a connection there. Uh, and then either through our first phone call or meeting in person, there was clearly a, a similar interest in learning and intellection and and the development of players as well as the program. And, um, and then, and then Clark, you can kind of fix what I've said that wasn't <laughs> right. <laughs> but then at the end, uh, at the end of this past season, when I paused my career, uh, Clark, uh, he called or I called him and we had this great idea where he'd come out to Virginia to the HB three. And so next thing we know, we're in out in my pool house, which was slash office talking about program design and the next steps for Vanderbilt and just all things football and then we take a break and ride horses a little bit, and then we do it again. And, and then I had a chance to go out and visit Clark. Um, gosh, somewhere along the way, I don't know if that was fall camp or we, he was already into the season. You just got done with Hawaii. We were playing Elon. You came out. That, that, that's it. So after their opener, I was able to go out and spend a day or two and just, um, yeah, visit with some of his personnel uh, uh, staff and and leadership team and watch practice and and just kind of be there. Um and 
and be a friend and and uh it's been an amazing thing and so after the past two wins there was no one more excited than i was uh for not only clark uh but my former defensive coordinator nick howell is with clark there uh, one of my former players kirk garner is also there and so i love it when good people have amazing results and do things in, in in clark's words i heard this a lot of virginia did you know this is the first time since and there's a lot of there were a lot of first time senses and there were some first time evers at Virginia and what's just happened at Vanderbilt have been two first time senses um, breaking. I think it was a 26 game conference um, streak against Kentucky, who's a very strong team and really well coached. And then now a first time since with Florida coming in and the fans getting to rush the field. Yeah. I saw that single file lines here, which was, I thought very respectful. (laughs) But anyway, so, so Clark with that backdrop, um, I don't know how much of that I got right, but. um, No, uh, I want to add a couple of things to it because I think they're important just in, in how significant the kind of the crossing of our paths was for me, because when I, you know, I've always aspired to be a head coach. That's what I got in coaching to do you know i wanted to run a program someday of course at 23 you don't actually know what all that entails and i'm just learning that you know at 41 now but um when i was at i you know i had followed your program at byu one of the things that was important to me was you know because i I think you have in our in our profession people win a number of different ways but what is painful is when you when you watch someone try to lead in a manner that's not authentic to who they are and self-awareness has always been really important to me. And I've noticed that I'm the best teacher and leader when I'm coming from, again, a place of authenticity. And so early in my career, rather than search for people to model my craft after that didn't fit or align with my personality, always see myself as a little bit of an introvert, always see myself as someone who's intellectually curious. Those are the places that I'm, when I'm pulling from those places and teaching, you know, intimacy and, and personal interpersonal connection are important to me. But, you know, Tim Corbin was a guy, the baseball coach here, and I point this way because the stadium's right there, but um, that, you know, I always, he got here when I was still playing and we hit it all because I was a former baseball player and I was always, um, really connected to his his style, his manner. He had a he had a quiet intensity about him. Uh, his flame burned really hot, but it wasn't you know um, emotionally he wasn't all over the place. He was very dialed in and precise. And so he was a guy that I I, I early in I used as a mentor and I would connect with. Um, Don Myers, another guy that I I spent a lot of time with, and Don was a famous basketball coach here and went on to Northern State and has since passed, but I was able to connect with him in my career. Um, but when I was at Wake Forest, I had, I had just finished uh, running into the wind. And having followed your program, that book was the first real glimpse I got into um, program design and having like an intentionality about how you design a program and how you create an experience. And I was fascinated with your move to Virginia and, um, and, and I had it as a goal that I wanted to somehow get connected with you. And, um, I, in fact, 
a guy the summer before I took this job that I wanted to try to get your number or somehow get connected. And it just never came to fruition. Uh, and I'm not so sure it wasn't, you're like, who's this Lee guy that's trying to track me down? I don't, I'm just, um, but anyways, so there I am. I just accepted this job. It had just been announced to the world. And I come back to my phone and there's a message from a number I don't recognize. Clark, this is Bronco Mendenhall. And to me, it was like one of those moments, like finally I get to talk to someone that I have such admiration for. And, you know, that first conversation was a, a lot around Kurt Garner and his skills that, you know, I'm so happy to have him part of what we're building. But it was also just a deep dive into, you know, what this experience is going to be like for me. And, you know, what are some things that I need to have an eye out for? And I thought, you know, the start of a, of, of a friendship that to me is incredibly meaningful. And it feels like it's gone on for decades from my vantage point. Um, but yet it's just, you know, a couple of years old here. So I'm, I'm appreciative of you and appreciative of obviously yeah. this opportunity, but also all the opportunities we've had before this to hang out. I feel the same way. Um, even though it's only been a couple of years, it feels like 20 or it feels like it, it's been always. And, and I think that happens with aligned people with aligned purposes that are, are similar in motive. And so in, in Clark's case, I remember um, after coming back from my visit to Vanderbilt um, and there were some challenges when you're playing week in and week out in the SCC and against some really good teams. Right. And but uh, uh, one of the texts I remember sending or one of the phone calls, um, it, it was something to the effect of I, I had certainty um, that there was going to be progress because I saw the program. I saw the direction. I saw the design elements. I saw the people. And while none of those things was perfect, so much of it was was um um, exactly as it needed to be for this stage of the program within those expectations and the direction it was going. So I could see all that happening. And sometimes, um, yeah, sometimes scheduling, right? The other team has a chance to, to influence all that. And sometimes how that plays out can, um, especially if there's really good teams back to back or they might be on the road or you have an injury, sometimes that can make, make you see your program um, not as clearly right? Is if the emotional distortions get involved. So there was a stretch in there early. Um, but, uh, it just, um, there was a resoluteness to me about the belief. Cause I, I know Clark and I saw what was happening, right. And we talked about it so much. And, um, I think it's short of saying breakthrough, right. But breaking through is yeah. more what we're, every program is trying to do. And that's what's happening at Vanderbilt. And so, and I could see all that, um, and so, Clark, what I what I'd love for you to to talk about, if you can, right, is is what kind of benchmarks or what moments along this season or what things were you seeing that were like, oh yeah, we're making progress. Maybe even before the Kentucky game and even before the Florida game, right? And the stretch between Hawaii and Elon, right, and then Kentucky and Florida, that stretch in there in the middle, um, what was that like for you? And what were you seeing and and maybe what internally were you thinking and wrestling with that's kind of helped or maybe contributed to where you are now, which is, I think, is a magical place for your program and for what you're accomplishing. And anyone that doesn't see it that way, quite frankly, isn't seen um, because it's really cool. what's happening. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think um, what I know to be true about this program is the success that I know we're capable of 
isn't going to happen overnight and we're not going to skip steps to get there. And the minute that I change those expectations, I deviate from what's possible. Um, with that said, you know, I think going into spring, I, I was in search of what the level of progress actually was. And I wanted to try to draw a line from spring one to spring two, because I remember my emotions and feelings watching this program practice for the first time in spring of 21. And obviously, a, I mean, honestly, a feeling of disgust when it comes to just what that looked like and what it felt like and, and the feeling of being like, oh my gosh, we, we have so much foundationally to work on here before we can talk about playing against someone. So I put together a cut up that I showed our team in the spring and it was, it was like around practice eight in the spring from a year ago and practice eight from this past spring <clears throat> and just showed them the difference in what the, what the, um, what the play looked like. We were bigger, faster, stronger. We had a, um, a heightened sense of making the routine play. The ball was on the ground less. There were less unforced errors. And that was the first glimpse that I had of like, okay, this is working, you know, um, let's, let's keep, you know, with our process and keep doubling down because we're getting there. You know, as we entered the season, obviously we, we started out with a bang um, at Hawaii and, and you know, I felt really good about having, you know, I think those trips expose your environment, your culture. That's a game where, you know, we should, we should be capable of winning, but can we handle the trip the right way? Can we handle the distractions of being, on the island for the week, can we, um, you know, can we stay focused on the mission? And I thought the team came out, played with confidence, and, and really represented a lot of the things that we had we had dialed into in, in our messaging as a program. And then we came home and beat Elon, as you alluded to, and um, you know, we we didn't play particularly well in the second half, but we we had created enough distance to where you know. That was, um, you know, a, a year earlier, we had lost to an FCS team to open our, to open my career here, which was, uh, I can remember calling you after that one because I needed some, some guys. I, I had that. I opened my career at, at UVA with the loss to Richmond. So okay. you and I share the brotherhood of that kind of experience. I, I'll never forget what you said to me too, as I was, I was talking to you and, and you knew exactly why I was calling, but <laughs> you said, and this is so typical of Bronco to give it honestly, but. You said, and you know what? It may get worse before it gets better. <laughs> I was like, oh, please, please. No. Um, but uh, in, in some ways it, it did. And um, yet here we are. So once we had those two wins, um, we had a great opportunity here at home against Wake Forest, where I felt like we had a team that was a, a benchmark for us or a measuring stick for us. You know, Dave Kloss has done such a good job with that program. I was a part of his staff at Wake Forest, a part of his staff at Bowling Green, I, I know intimately kind of how he functions. And, um, you know, I, I had enough confidence and belief to think that we had a chance to be competitive. Well, the game was marked by self-inflicted wounds and turnovers. And in a sequence of about five minutes, there were 21 unanswered points and we never recovered. Within that, you know, we had a backup quarterback come in and perform um, well. And so, you know, it, it forced us to kind of reevaluate where we were at the quarterback position. Um, and it was hard because our starting quarterback was a captain for us and a guy that I care a lot about. Um, and we were heading to Northern Illinois the next week. And the more Joey Lynch and I spent time on it, the more we felt like the right thing to do was 
to, to, to make a change. And that was a challenging, um, week in that respect, you know, it, you never want to, you, you know, the relationships are all meaningful and it's not easy to let people down. And yet that's a part of this job. In fact, I think that's maybe the most critical part of this job is to, to be willing to say no and to be willing to, to disappoint people, um, knowing that you're always protecting the bigger business. You know, we go to Northern Illinois and we have to battle back from uh, uh, on the road against a team that had, had had success the year prior and we got behind and it was, um, it was hard. It was tough, but we won the game and felt good about it and then hit a stretch of SEC games that, that really, you know, it, you know, that it beat us down. And I think it tested us to a point where, you know, we, we had to, you know, we had to look in the mirror and make the choice each week to step back into the arena. And it was important that I model that for, for the team and the players and the staff as well. I was just going to interrupt you for a second as, as you're uh, giving the narrative. Um, and that being beaten down can happen to grownups too, and mm-hmm. it can happen to coaches. And so I'd love you just to, to talk about that just for a second as to um, I've been part of uh, losses, especially early on where there's 50 points and the yeah. game's not close. Uh, 50 points against us and we're battling and and you can feel on the sideline those moments of despair or uncertainty. Um, And I felt that even internally, even though, as you said, modeling doesn't allow that. Um, But I'm anxious to know what effect, if any, it had on you during that stretch, because again, we're now talking about, because you've, you've, you're coming out the other side, right? With a win on the road against Kentucky and a win and by the way, I would pay fans to charge the field sometimes, just like <laughs> I, I wish I could, it's such a cool experience. And now they get fined for rushing the field. But let's talk about this Vanderbilt, right? Beating Florida at home. And and isn't that kind of to an extent part of college football where the community actually is so excited they want to support and be part of? Right. And, and right. so those are glorious moments. So as you're now coming coming out the other side, I'd like to go back just personally in that middle stretch. For you as the leader, how were you managing that, and and what were you doing, and what was your messaging to the team? For sure, um, well, I, I I can think of a few instances, and if I if I just go back to year one and say, you know, what was that like? What was you know East Tennessee State like? I can remember the next morning, um, and I think that you'll appreciate this because we all need people that will speak truth to us in our lives. But um, the morning after that loss to East Tennessee State, and we. We didn't just lose to them. I mean, they, they beat us soundly in all three phases. And um, I, I was I was lingering in bed. And I, I mean, I did not want to get up. I mean, I, there was no part of me that was excited about stepping into what was next. And, um, you know, my wife came back and she, you know, of course, she'd been up and she's, you know, got everything lined up for the day. And she just saw a look on my face. She said, what's wrong with you? And I was, you know, I was licking my wounds. I said, you know, I'm just upset about the game and I'll never forget. I mean, she like kind of like furrowed her brow and was like, what do you mean? Like, isn't this why you're here? Like, isn't this why you came here? And, um, and I said, you know, you're right. Like, let me get up and, and let me, you know, rather than focus on the pain that I feel, you know, my responsibility is to help this team with the pain that they feel. Because what they were experiencing was something that they thought they had distanced themselves from, but it brought back all the scar tissue of their past. And, and it was so, it was such a meaningful moment for our program because 
there was this recognition that you aren't going to change until you are totally committed to changing. And there's nothing that you can fake about it. I mean, it has to be all the way through. So, uh, and there was a couple other moments in that first season that, that I just, I, I felt like I was on the floor, um, and couldn't get up. Um, but you know, this year, because we were three and one when we headed to Alabama, you know, um, I felt like we were positioned to go down and be competitive. And I knew that there was still, you know, a little bit of distance between us and them on the field, but you want your process and your culture to overcome that. And it will in time, right? I mean, that's, that's the plan. That's the vision. Um, and we got beat in that game, I think 55 to three. And again, I, the, the, uh, I mean, excuse me for not remembering the details of the final score, but it was something like that. And it was just, they ran away with it and they scored a touchdown late where he wasn't trying to score. He, he had his backups in and we just didn't tackle. And it was almost like we looked like a team that lost interest in competing. And, um, and, and as much as I felt like we were beyond that, what, what I recognized was that 55-33 was the score of the game. It didn't reflect the distance between us and them. And we had not yet learned how to play to our highest level. Um, and that was painful for me because, you know, what I wanted this year to be about was if nothing else that we're going to play to the identity of Vanderbilt football. But, you know, obviously that wasn't the case. So I can remember after that game, I mean, I was probably as scarred up after that one as in any, any, that in the Georgia game this year, which came soon thereafter. Um, I want to say, and again, a little bit escapes me, but in between was Ole Miss where. Uh, we, um, oh no, we went to Georgia next and that was 55 to nothing. Um, and again, another game where, you know, they, I think it was maybe 28 to nothing to halftime and the defense played better in the second half, but we allowed a late, a late score, a late touchdown that, um, that just is demoralizing. Once you see the number five up there and again, I didn't feel like it reflected who we were. It reflected where we, where we are and, and my job is to close the margins down by teaching this team how to compete. The the um, a couple really profound things the the who the who we are versus where we are. There there's always that um, assessment for a leader from what you believe who we are as a program and who you are as a person to then um, an outcome. Right. And, and when that doesn't align, wow, is there a lot of work to do to figure out what exactly is not aligning and how come. Right. And then the week starts over and you're working on that because I know we're this, except we're playing like this. And so what is um, the reason and then what methodologies need to change in relation to that? And I learned a principle early on going back to your quarterback decision. Wow, what a tough decision for a captain. Uh, if you think about putting yourself in, in the shoes of a young person and as the quarterback and as a captain and then to be replaced, right? There, there is um, the, the best leaders. It's, it's not only what they do, it's how they do it. And so that disappointing others part um, can be done and it's, it, it has to be done, uh, but it can be done with empathy. It can be done with consideration. It can be done with uh, a manner 
that actually reflects true caring. And, and so back to that point of struggle, a lot of times uh, struggling leaders or teams become inward facing. They're thinking about themselves when really the solution and, and the grief and the, uh, the way to move forward is outward facing, as you said, as your wife helped you see, right, uh, what you do for other people. And, and man, there's, there's, it accelerates the process. But I, I love the idea of there's a couple, again, I've had the word, the number five in front of us some games as well. And when 40, 49 to three yeah. feels a lot better than 50 to three. That's right. right? And, and there's almost the devastation that comes when a five goes on the scoreboard. And yet you're saying, right, you were still clear about who we were versus how we played. Right. And, and that's a very powerful thing. Um, I, I love the, the, um, that that was solidified. And if the players see a leader that's reflecting that, because outcome usually is determining identity with so many of these young people and sometimes older people and mm-hmm. how I would carry myself after a loss in terms of self-confidence versus a win. Yeah. You mentioned being three and one. Three and one is a good place to be going into Alabama, regardless of who you played. Three and one is is right. an earned thing. But let's be clear, Vanderbilt has five wins right now. Yeah. Five. Yeah. Right. Five at Vanderbilt. And this is your second year. And, and so for for um for anyone not to pause just to like close their eyes and smile and say, Holy cow, that's really cool. And there's a lot of great work being done. Um and it will continue, and there's not one easy day. And so, the leaders that see that are are um, the ones that are, this is going to resonate with. And and so now, right here are back to back SEC wins, <laughs> mm-hmm. which just feels good to say, right? Back to back, one on the home or one at home, one on the road against really good teams, right? And so now you're seeing your program have the ability to um, have some uh, accomplishment. And so what challenges or what momentum or what are you feeling now as a leader and where is your team now? What changes do you see and what like what um, um, clues are there of who they're becoming at this point? Yeah. So, you know, and I was wrong earlier. It was it was Alabama, Ole Miss, Georgia was a three in a row. And against Ole Miss, we had come out and established a lead at halftime and then just kind of had the game fall apart in the third quarter. Um, but showed some progress there and then got shut out at, at Georgia. Um, it was a very challenging three-game stretch and then um, and then played Missouri to a field goal. And that, that game was 17-0 at halftime, and we came out defensively and, and reestablished our identity and, again, had the ball and had the, had the game run out at fourth and inches on a two-minute drive. Um, and I think that and – then, and then, you know, came back home and lost to South Carolina where – there was this feeling that, you know, the Missouri game was us getting over the hump and, you know, that's going to show in the, in the next effort. And it just didn't. Um, and those were, I remember after the Missouri game, um, getting in front of the team and obviously they were frustrated, a three point loss where we had the ball at the end. And, you know, of course we came up short and I think there's, if you allow for there to be a feeling of hopelessness or helplessness that there will be, what I needed to do in that moment wasn't yell at them for the game. What I needed to do was show them the missed opportunities and then, and then teach them the control that they have over the outcome. Um, 
And I, we, we, I just, I'd used this quote before, and I think you used it before too in your programs, but um, the stone cutter, the idea of it's not the 101st blow, but it's all that came before. And it just, uh, you know, to teach them from my experience that, that we are, we are positioning for a breakthrough and what, what, what normal people do in these moments where, you know, they're being tested and their faith is being tested um, is they put the hammer down. Um, but what, what I'm going to call the team to do is stay faithful to our process and understand that, you know, and, 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 and I, I said this and I don't, I, you know, like it's, it's more of my personality, but when I know I'm close, I'm actually going to look for a heavier hammer and I'm going to swing it harder. And mm -hmm. it's a mindset of like, not just continuing to do, but doubling down and let's go deeper and go further with it. Um, again, then when we played South Carolina, there were elements of success in that game and you saw flashes, but there was a, there was a lack of consistency. And the one thing that stood out to me in that game was we still weren't confident enough in ourselves to not let the opponent tell us whether we were good or not. Meaning we would look to how they were playing, how we were playing against them to determine whether or not in the moment we were good enough to win rather than stepping into confidence and belief. Go ahead, Bronco. And, and those, no, those, those are, it, it's so powerful. And, and going back to the stone cutter for a second, um, one of the coolest principles that I learned is, um, right, uh, principles can be reinforced and remembered through symbolism. And there was a time at BYU where I brought in a giant piece of granite and it was it was at the front of the team room. And then we stenciled um, the Y um, that was on our helmet. And then the player of the week each week got the chisel and the hammer and they were then responsible for hammering to where that um, symbol was going down into the granite with the idea being by the end of the year that would be carved in. Um, and etched in where you, you couldn't you couldn't get it out because it was so deep. And, and and so by playing well, you actually were issued a hammer, right? And you were issued the chisel and you were expected. And so each day you would hear in the second floor, chink, 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 chink. Yeah. So that guy was expected to come in outside of his classwork, right? Outside of practice and to to be digging deeper to embed our culture. And so to your point, um, yeah, it, it wasn't the, 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 um, the idea of chiseling into the rock wasn't necessarily the purpose. It was to reemphasize the principle of, um, it's not going to carve itself. Right. And, and the best players were the ones getting issued that yeah. they were earning the right to get the hammer because they have to, they have to lift more, right. They, they have the skills, they have the, uh, the, um, the, the gifts and and current abilities to be able to do more, which is what the leader does. And so that's um, what you're expressing. And at, at Virginia, um, it, every day started with a segment called the best day ever. And on Tuesdays, um, it would start with our chaplain had a, a little chisel and a hammer, uh, Mike, uh, re reflective of Michelangelo and and his work, making a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And that the players would walk into chink, chink, chink. They would hear that coming in and just the masterpiece will not be created with the work necessary every time you show up. And so to your point, right, what what the kids started asking for is a heavier hammer because they realized, right, it was it, um, 
the, the little hammer wasn't going deep enough. <laughs> and so they were looking for a sharper chisel and they were looking for bigger weapons, which to your point, that stretch of playing Alabama, Georgia, Old Miss, and we just saw South Carolina's ability against Tennessee, right? right? There are times where you want your best players looking for a bigger hammer, right? Mm-hmm. Not, not being satisfied with the one they have. Um, and when they're really reaching to find more skills, Right. And the coach's job, I think, is to provide them with the tools or make them accessible, yeah. which is, I think, what you're talking about. And no, so anyway, that, that leads you into Kentucky. And then what were the thoughts going into that game or where did you think you were? And and then what yeah. happened? So uh, whether it was good fortune or not, I I was um, I came down with a flu um, <laughs> like right on Monday as we're. Of course you, you know, did. Right in the middle yeah. of the season. <laughs> you know, so, so we we don't we don't um, meet on Sundays. We we our follow up meetings on Monday, and after the South Carolina game, um, you know the the team was I could tell the team was beat up. You know they they had good good responses after the game, but you know you just knew there was going to I needed to continue to bridge for them. Um, and as I spent time with the game on Sunday and then Monday morning, I it just it became clear to me that, you know, the conversations that I was having with the staff were not, we just can't block this guy. We just can't um, beat this corner. It was, it was the conversations were all around where our play design had won, but we hadn't made the routine play or made the available play. And, there was a need for us to dial into what that actually means. And so evidenced all over the South Carolina tape was these situations where, whether it's downing the ball on the perimeter and not allowing an explosive touchdown, uh, which happened three times, um, whether it was offensively a mesh concept where we, you know, where the other team had had two guys chasing one and we had someone wide open but we get beat on the slide side and we get off our market quarterback and can't make the connection. Those that's where the available play is where the explosive play will show up. And we've shown that through the year that, you know, and so going into that Monday meeting, first of all, I didn't have the physical ability to be real emotional or to be much of a preacher because the fluid stripped me of that. I was very matter of fact with them. And I simply just put up these opportunities there was a fourth and four, there was a third and six, there was a missed execution on a third and 19 on defense where they were allowed to convert. And all these were in moments, and I just kept saying to them, is this play the difference in the game? And their response was yes, because it was, but they were all, and they were embedded throughout the four quarters. And Mm -hmm. we weren't asking them to be anything other than who they are, just um, with a level of focus and, um, you know, a preparedness to make the routine play or the available play and to give the team what the team needs in the moment. Um, and, I, and I felt like out of that, there's almost this sense of relief because if I went back to Georgia um, or Ole Miss, what I would have told you was this team is looking for like a supernatural force. They're looking for something in their energy systems that is going to get them over the hump. And and rather than focus on what's actually hard, which is the execution and the focus, the detail that is required, you know, they they thought it was a pregame speech or, you know, a way of talking to each other at halftime. And and so we've had to deconstruct that a little bit here 
to, to find the identity that unlocks winning. That's what the Kentucky week was about. And, you know, um, and by God, we did it. You know, we, we, we got out in the Kentucky game. We didn't play perfectly. We played well enough to win the game. But what we did was we played within our systems and within our structure enough. We made the available play. The explosive play came through that. Um, every unit that stepped on the field, when things weren't going the way we wanted them to, they left the field better than they found it. So when our offense was we turned the ball over on the first drive, our defense came out and got a stop. When our defense gives up an explosive touchdown to concede the lead late, our offense comes, up, offense comes through with a two-minute drive to get us ahead, and then the defense finishes the game. Special teams bridge those phases perfectly, and we, we came in connection with our strength. Um, and that was the first time as a program that I saw a team function with belief and confidence through four quarters. And again, mm -hmm. what we had allowed earlier in our season was our belief and confidence to be stripped from us by the opponent or by the circumstances of the game. Um, and, you know, once we came in contact with that performance, I knew that we were going to be able to replicate right now, whether it was going to be good enough, then the Florida week became all right. Look, simply, this is all I want us to do. How do we strengthen our performance from Kentucky? Here are the ways we do that. Don Meyer used to say to me, you have to um, plan, prepare, and practice like you lost the last game. I never understood what that meant. Always, always in my mind, you know, Don, who, who, you know, is just such a great mentor. And, you know, when he was still with us was a, just a dear friend, but um, you know, he was a, he was a very um, combustible head coach and, you know, you know, like he, you know, he could, he could be a little bit uh, of a curmudgeon at times, you know, like he didn't sense that when, when he left coaching and later on in his life. But um, I always thought it was like, how do I, how do I convince myself or how I can to, how do I convey a sense of displeasure after a good result? Cause I don't actually believe in that, nor do I believe in like going over the top in celebration, but I realized after coaching this team through the stretch that we've been through and, and these concepts of making the available play and, and learning how the games really come down to each snap, every snap matters. And it, it, there's never, it's never the big situations. The big situations don't matter more. The big situations are the aggregate of the small situations. That's right. That for me was got me in contact with what he meant. So the first thing we did after the Kentucky game was I had a planned prepare and practice like you lost the last game. And I just showed 11 clips. There were 11 plays from that Kentucky game that were the plays that had the result gone the other way. This is what we'd be looking at. These are the things that we'd be focused on saying, Hey, if we would have done these things better then we would have won the game. Um, and to look at those from the vantage point of having a good result gave us the opportunity to still learn from and grow from the experience of the Kentucky game in hopes that we strengthen the performance against Florida. So just, just really, really well said. And there's huge program growth that happens um, within the consistency of making the routine play. And so many times, as you were saying, it, it isn't that the players are making better plays. They're just making more of the routine play. And as you said, the aggregate, right, of the small plays 
equals and leads you to the chance where you get to the, the big play right there or the big moment. That's right. And so as your program becomes more and more competitive, which it will reach a point where every game um, is a competitive game simply because the aggregate of players doing what they're capable of doing becomes more consistent, right? So their volume of how they're doing it then leads to an outcome of play after play, them doing what's within your systems. Mm. And then there's more of these moments that determine outcome that they've earned, right? Because yeah. now every game, there's just a couple of plays and the NFL is like that based on parity. Yes. And there was a great study done, three to five plays per game in a league that's based on parity, right? The worst team gets the best players the next year. Their salary, right? They're doing everything to make things equal. And what they found is those three to five plays, but those three to five plays are reflective of the small plays that Clark's talking about that get you to those moments. If you don't make the routine play and aren't consistent enough to built that way, you never even get to those big moments because you're, you're trailing by too much. So that 11 play sequence to me is captivating. And the other thing that's really powerful that Clark is saying is that he's empowering his team to see what they're capable of, what opportunities were missed that they were in control of. The opponent wasn't, right? They were in control of and focusing on what what Vanderbilt could do better okay. then led to this empowered feeling of here comes Florida. And so right. why don't you take us home with the Florida, the Florida finish, and then we'll just, we'll tie it up. Yeah. And, and I think on that note too, it's, um, it, what 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 I what I believe is indicative of a sick mentality that can mm-hmm. consume these programs is you you make assumptions about what you don't have. And again, my biggest point was I'm not talking about we need to block the edge rusher better. I'm talking about catching and throwing the ball when you're open. And yeah. you know, again, you go back to Missouri, 17 nothing at halftime. And we can't move the ball or, you know, we've had drives stalled out. And in the fourth quarter of that game, we take a hitch, 80 yards, a hitch. And it was just about getting the ball in play. And, you know, you think that it's going to take this like, you know, perfect pin route against quarters and great protection. But all we had to do is get the ball in space to our playmaker. And he made the play. And those are the things that create the evidence. And I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think any good coach understands, you know, the, the need to make the routine play and to focus small. But these were what I'm faced with the challenge of convincing a group of people that they're capable of more and yes. they're offloading their power in the moment. And and so all the coach speak goes out and you got to just dial into what is actually in front of us. And so to, to finish off, I mean, we, we the Florida was the same. You know, we we take we take the eleven plays, we learn, we grow. Can we strengthen the uh, the the performance? In some ways, we did. In some ways, we didn't. But we again played well enough to win by making the routine or the available play. We put pressure on them to do the same. At times, they were able to. At times, they weren't. Our special teams capitalized, and we we won in the margins. Um, it was an incredible emotional experience. You know, it was so much fun in the locker room afterwards, and. You know, it was an 11 a.m. kick. So, you know, <laughs> it's like you're you're walking out into a fall late afternoon and I'm looking at the victory flag, which is just just the mark of success and validation in some ways. And it's just it's a beautiful moment. Um, and then, you know, what do we do? We we find 12 plays from that game that we want to do better. 
And this week is not about rivalry, you know, the rivalry. It's not about, um, you know, we've talked a lot about fighting to extend our season. That's important. And that's personal to us. I mean, that's our mission. So, you know, I want this band of warriors to be fighting for each other and fighting for this team. But we're not going to add a lot of emotion to it. It's going to be, can we strengthen our performance? And can we finish the season with our highest level as a team? If we can do that, we have what we need here. If, if we don't, obviously, we leave it to chance. And again, we don't take control of all the things that we have control over. I love that. And I was going to bring that up a second, uh, a second ago, uh, whether it's the middle of the season and a, couple, and a couple of 50 50 point challenges, by the way, to really good teams. So let's just put it in context for those listeners that are out there. Right. The, these are very good teams. Um, that doesn't make you feel better or worse usually, um, but it has to be acknowledged um, in terms of the relevancy of the context. And so, um, but during that time in today's world, and one of my biggest challenges as I was feeling that um, grow and become is managing the external environment. Mm. And so here are young people that are, um, I don't know what percentage of time, but there's a great book called Irresistible that says this is the most powerful and addictive device known to man. And so sometimes it's 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 estimating that uh, young people, by the time they pass away now, will have spent 30 years of screen time. Mm. And, and so now if we know the players are on and listening to other voices besides their head coach, besides their parents, besides other trusted leaders and mentors managing the external environment, good or bad. So here comes Tennessee, which is a rivalry game. But the approach is has been really well founded. The more focus that goes on the external environment, the more it interferes and creates slippage within the performance. Right. And the idea is you're going to rise to this occasion. Right. You're going to rise to the level in which you're prepared. Right. And so uh, the 11 or 12 plays that Clark is talking about, that will be the difference. It, it won't be uh, the color of the uniform. It won't be whatever the the rivalry is and what people are saying and all that, it will be uh, players being prepared really well, um, focusing on what they're supposed to do and how they're supposed to do it. And the rest of the world will exaggerate and marginalize right. and distort uh, for the sake of being liked or getting likes, regardless of whether it's truth or not. And so as the leader, um, it already sounds like you have a good plan for managing that and, and um, uh, any other challenges or any other things that you'd like to say, Clark, just as we're, we're, we're taking it home, other than from my standpoint, it's been really fun and gratifying to see a friend and a colleague um, at a really unique place um, establish and become um, something of relevance in the world of college football, which that makes college football actually more, makes college football to me um, more intriguing, right? right? Uh, not less intriguing. Right. And, and the programs that can and are willing to do it uh, in the environments of, of a strong academic backdrop um, with unique human developments built into their program, uh, those are the colors I like to wear. Yeah. And so anyway, I just acknowledge what you're doing. Anything else you'd like to share? No, I mean, I think just what I've, what I've been most impressed with is, um, the resilience of the young people that I'm responsible for, I think. And I've told them this, I, I told them after the Kentucky game, 
And it did, it wasn't about the result, but it, the result gave us a moment to pause and celebrate progress. Yeah. And just the level of respect that I have for yes. them, because Bronco, I think that we're all in our own ways, you know, maniacal as head coaches, yeah. we have, we have an abnormal willingness for pain and endurance. And it's easier for us to, to step into that just because of the way we're wired. Um, I've called these guys into it and the staff into it, and they haven't flinched. And it's been hard. And we have an experience now that no one can take from us. Um, and we have a connection and a bond now that we're going to continue to build upon because we're not done yet. But it has been solidified and crystallized internally. And then I told him after the Florida game, not only do I respect you, but you've inspired me. And I hope that people are paying attention because you can be a great model for what a resilient spirit can do and what enthusiasm can do. Um, and so that's been um, the most rewarding part is to see guys that I care about, that I love, uh, experience success because they stayed committed and they stayed faithful. And those are lessons and examples that I think we're seeing less and less of in our society and our community. And I'm very proud to have this program, um, you know, modeling that, you know, on the stage that we're on. Yeah. Thank you so much. And from, for our listeners, um, I've seen it and I've witnessed it and it is authentic. Um, and my commitment for our podcast is to only have people on that are authentic and real and, and trying to do things of significance. So Clark, thanks for taking time during game week. Uh, and uh, that, that sounds like cliche to maybe, I don't know, someone that just hears game week, but really the all encompassing 24 seven thought process of trying to help young people reach their potential. Yeah. And then someone keeps score of that. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, I acknowledge that. We appreciate you being on and wish you the very best. Hey, great to be with you guys. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for, for joining us. For Clark, for Bronco, I'm Brian Fisher. We'll see you again next week.